the music was everywhere in Detroit in the early 60s, mid 60s, um, from the churches to the nightclubs to the high schools. Um, and so musicians were drawn to this, this little house that he called Hitsville, USA in Detroit because they knew there was a little songwriter guy in there who was making music. Motown had more women executives, and I'm talking about vice presidents, than any other label at the time in the industry. That's how serious they were about women and women leadership. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. I'm so excited to have our guest today, Robin Terry, the CEO of the Motown Museum. It's really the pride of Detroit, which is where Motown music was born. Right. Robin is the granddaughter of Esther Gordy Edwards, who's the sister of Barry Gordy, who many people know as the creative genius who founded Motown Music and, and built it into some of the most beloved music in the world. But it was Robin's grandmother, Barry Gordy's sister, Esther, who had the vision to save the incredible costumes, the very first album covers, and even the original recording studio where all that great music was born. Which people from all over the world come to Detroit to visit. Uh, as a matter of fact, even Beatle Paul McCartney came there. Uh, so welcome, Robin Terry. Well, Anne and Dana, thank you for having me. I have been looking forward to this podcast moment. Fantastic. We're happy to have this conversation. There's so much to talk about. So let's go ahead and get started. So first question for you, Robin. What was it about Motown music that, that changed the world? Your family started it at a tremendous upheaval, time and conflict in the U.S., uh, which was the civil rights movement, the anti-Vietnam War protests. But it was also very joyful music that became the soundtrack of the 1960s. So Dana, that's a great question. It's a big question. Um, and I think we, we have to start with, you know, what made Motown such a standout record label to begin with? And if we go back to, you know, 1959, my great uncle Barry Gordy was just an aspiring songwriter who through our family savings club was able to put the capital together to, um, you know, purchase the Hitsville USA house, which is a little home in Detroit and the neighborhood, um, which ultimately became the headquarters of Motown. But he transformed um, an old photography studio in the back into his recording studio. And that became the foundation for what would be Motown, the headquarters for that. Um, once he had that little space, then of course you had you know, all of this amazing but raw singing talent that was drawn to that little house. You had musicians, music was everywhere in Detroit in the early 60s, mid 60s, um, from the churches to the nightclubs to the high schools. Um, and so musicians were drawn to this, this little house that he called Hitsville USA in Detroit because they knew there was a little songwriter guy in there who was making music. 
And so the love of music uh, drew people to this little house. And as a result, you know, you ended up with music today that more than 60 years later is still moving people. So back to your question about what made it so special. One of the things is that, you know, as you noted during that time in the um, early 60s, mid 60s, the country was going through some of its greatest unrest. There were movements from the civil rights movements, women rights movement, anti-war movements. Um, and so Motown was existing in the midst of that. And somehow the music that was being made by, you know, the folks at Hitsville, the sound that was emanating out of Detroit was somehow bringing a little bit of peace and a little bit of hope and a little bit of love. <laughs> um, yeah. And in its own powerful way, you know, as music does begin to break down barriers for people. So I think it's, you know, it is notable and it is celebrated um, for not only the entrepreneurial excellence and ingenuity of a Barry Gordy, but the fact that the music really connected with people all over the world. You know, you mentioned um, in terms of how it started, uh, you mentioned the, um, what you called the, the Family Savings Club. Yeah. And I think it was an $800 loan from the, the extended Gordy Family Savings Club um, that got that started. But a lot of people don't understand about that. I, I bring every time someone from out of Michigan comes to visit me, I bring them to the Motown Museum. So the story is so powerful. Will you explain what that was and why it was so important? Absolutely. And Anne, I know you, you do your homework I, <laughs> and I know you love Motown. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I'm happy to. So, you know, entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial spirit runs deep in our family's blood, in our veins. Um, and it really, starts with my great-grandparents, Barry Gordy Sr. and his wife, Bertha Gordy, who mi they migrated from the South to um, Detroit in the mid-40s. And my great-grandfather didn't come here for the reason that many other people of color migrated to the North, um, because he actually did very, he was doing very well. He had, it wasn't necessarily for opportunity to work in the auto factory or something like that. Um, he actually came here because he had a $2,000 check to cash from, <laughs> from his timber business in the South. And it wasn't safe to, to cash that check in the South. Wow. So he had a brother in Detroit who said, listen, you come here. I have somebody I trust who, you know, you could, you can, put your money there. And so that's why he came here. So I say that to say that even as my great grandparents came here, they were already entrepreneurs. Okay. And then with their eight children, they have four boys, four girls, Barry Gordy being the second youngest boy and my grandmother being the oldest girl, um, their children, they begin to set up business in Detroit. And everything from, you know, our family's grocery store, which was um, um, the Booker T. Washington grocery store. There was a Gordy print shop. So everything was about enterprise. And then the, the point that you've 
you made Anne, which is about our family savings club. Well, my grandmother, Esther Gordy Edwards, um, she was married to George Edwards, who was a state representative accountant and state representative for the state of Michigan. And they came up with this idea because it was difficult for people of color to get capital to create their own businesses. Yeah. They came up with the concept of pooling your resources. And so they created a fund called the Burberry Co-op. Burr for Bertha, my grandmother. <laughs> Barry for my great-grandfather. Wow. And the Burberry Co-op. And it was their collective co-op. This is how, um, you know, every member of the family put in $10 a month. And if you want to start your own business, you could borrow what you put in. If you needed more than you put in, the family had to vote. And it had to be a unanimous vote. So that is the story that you're telling about Barry Gordy as that young songwriter, you know, saying, hey, he wanted to borrow $1,000. And the family's like, you didn't put 1000 in. And he all the family members to give him that loan. And ultimately, they gave him the $800 loan, which he had to pay back with his first earnings with interest. Wow. <laughs> family. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing and really important part of the story. Yeah, Absolutely. it's something that I challenge people today, families, we see a lot of families come through Motown Museum. And I, I always say to them, you know, just think of how empowering it would be if each family just pooled capital resources and then invest in yourselves, invest in your own dreams, your own aspirations your children's aspirations, right? It's a, um, you know, it, it's something that for the Gordys was a natural thing to do. Uh, and certainly you see what came as a re result of that, we got Motown. Um, but if the world could do that today, if families could do that today, who knows what we would get. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what I think is really um, interesting and unique about, you know, the story as you tell it, is that there were, um, some women who were actually a part of how things were formed and decided, you know, and since, you know, this, this podcast is about, you know, women and leadership, clearly it started early with your family. Yeah. Um, you know, just thinking about the women who were making those decisions. Tell us more about, you know, how that transpired to your family, even to the museum as it is today, the women who were paving the way to make it happen. Well, this is, this is, Dana, thank you for that question, because this is one of the subjects I love talking about. Um, and quite frankly, I think my uncle would love, um, if you've read his book, To Be Loved, he loves talking about the women in his life and the role that they played. My great-grandmother, Bertha Ida Gordy, was just a force in her own right. Um, not only was she um, an educator, but very involved in politics, very involved in um, grassroots movements and very involved in the church. And so, you know, when you, when you track our family back, the, when they came to Detroit, they immediately got involved in the political mm -hmm. scene. Um, and so that just passed on to their children. So, so when a, um, young Barry Gordy, as again, young songwriter in his early 20s, is deciding he wants to start his own business. Well, he had entrepreneurial instincts for sure, 
because my grand, he had worked in our family businesses. So he certainly had those, but he didn't have a high school education. So didn't go to college. Um, it was actually his sisters. So my grandmother, Esther Gordy Edwards, being the only sibling who had gone to college, um, had held um, positions in offices supporting governors, um, like Governor um, G. and Williams, whose campaign she worked on. Um, she was at that point the first African-American jury commissioner. So she was on the commission. So she had worldly knowledge that he needed in order to be successful in that business. And so she was able to say to him, hey, Barry, listen, I'll come and work for you for two years for free. You go up, I go up. You go down, I'll go down. I mean, that's the yes. level of commitment. Um, and that's just my grandmother. My Aunt Gwen came out of high school with her own photo concession uh, business in the nightclub. And so she was actually the first sibling to have a record label and she named it after her sister, Anna Gordy. And so it's called Anna Records. So one sister already had an independent record label. And so she just said to her brother, all right, if that's what you think you wanna do, I'll fold my company into your company. So now you already have the foundation you need to go and do Motown or whatever it is you want to do. So there are countless stories like that of women. Um, another woman that I'll just mention who was outside of the family, because you can go down the, the list of women in the family. Um, another woman that I'll mention is like Maxine Powell. Maxine Powell, this is once Motown's up and running. Aunt Gwen was a model. And she was a model in Maxine Powell's finishing school. So Maxine Powell had her own very successful finishing school where she trained models of color and really got the first African-American model on the cover, cover of um, a national magazine. So successful in her own right. When my Aunt Gwen's company came over to Motown, my uncle said to her, how do you get these people so polished? Like, what are you doing? Well, my aunt was a model, so she knew what to do. She said, listen, if you want to make that part of your business model, you need to get Maxine Powell over here. <laughs> she is a finishing school because I will tell you this, what a lot of people don't know is that Motown grew out of these little houses on West Grand Boulevard, a total of eight little houses. And essentially Hitsville was the first one. And as Barry Gordy, as the company would grow, Barry Gordy would just buy the next available house on the block. Right, so that's kind of how it grew. The, by the time Motown, 1972, they moved to Los Angeles, they had 450 employees. The average age was 23. So 23 years old. So like, this is, this is talent in the rough. These are, you know, executives in the rough. <laughs> And so, so when my uncle says to my aunt Gwen, like what, you know, how do you get them so polished? And she says, you've got to get Maxine. Well, they get Maxine Powell and she then creates a finishing school within Motown. So it's the only record company with its own finishing school. And they were then responsible for polishing this raw talent. So if it was the Supremes who were in high school, 
you know, and had to wait a year until they graduated to come to Motown. If it was little Stevie Wonder, 11 years old, Maxine made sure that when they showed up on that stage, they were polished. So she's really another woman that we give a lot of credit to because when people think of Motown, they don't just think of the great talent, but they think of how polished they were. Glamorous. Absolutely. How glamorous. Very glamorous. Yeah, I mean, that was it. And so, you know, at the end of the day, my uncle has tremendous respect for women and, and so much so that Motown had more women executives, and I'm talking about vice presidents, than any other label at the time in the industry. That's how serious they were about women and women leadership. Powerful. Wow. You know, you it's so fantastic to hear this um, really important history from you who, who really, I mean, you grew up in what I would call the royal family of Motown music. Um, would you share some of your maybe memories of your own experiences as a little girl um, growing up with all of this that was uh, already a, a, a tremendous global empire as you were growing up? Sure. Um, so growing, growing up, I can say that, you know, I have memories. Marvin Gaye married into our family. My Aunt Anna married Marvin Gaye. Um, okay. And then um, you had people like artists like Smokey Robinson, who has just, you know, he is just family, right? He is my great uncle's dearest friend, brother friend on this planet. Um, and you have artists like Diana Ross and even the Jackson Five, who were just around. Mm. And when you're young, that's not, you're not looking at them through, you know, starry fan glasses, you know? Right. They're, they're just the humans. adults in your life. Yes. Yeah. They're humans and they're just, um, they're just people. And I, I cherish those childhood memories. I have to say, I did not fully understand the um, significance of their contribution to the world, honestly, if I'm being honest, until I was actually um, working at the museum in a leadership capacity wow. in the early 2000s. I mean, that's just how big that gap was. And I saw how the world was responding to their contributions. And I just thought, wow, mm -hmm. I'd had, you know, I always tell the story of, you know, one of my first days in the museum as the director of the museum and I was green <laughs> and I would always come in early to listen to everybody's voicemails and respond to every email. <laughs> and I had a voicemail from a 19-year-old um, gentleman in Japan and like a 21-year-old young lady from Greece. Mm -hmm. And they were both thanking me for what I was doing at Hitsville to perpetuate this legacy with these artists that mean so much to them. And I remember sitting in my grandmother's big leather chair. <laughs> wow. Uh <-huh. laughs> like, whoa, the world knows what's happening in this little thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, well, you know, we want to hear more because at one point, I mean, you, you grew up in the family business, but you went off 
on your own to sort of have your own journey and find yourself maybe it, and I want to get to that. Um, but, but also let's talk about the museum itself because you've, you've started that, you know, and, and let's go there in terms of, you know, many people don't even know what it is. Yeah. Sure. And now. Yeah. yeah. And even though it, it, you, we often from as Detroiters think when someone is coming to Detroit, what's the first thing that they should do? The museum is one of our number one reasons to come. Yeah. But like you said, it, we need to make sure that everybody knows that. Yes, I, I would love for everybody to know that. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but even the physical place, Hitsville, USA, I mean, tell people what it is. So it, it, it is a magical little space. And it, it's the original home that we talked about that Barry Gordy um, purchased. He lived in the upstairs and it became, um, he transformed that back photography studio into Motown's original recording studio. So you'll hear people talk about, you know, the famous Hitsville USA house um, or the famous Motown recording studio A. And I can tell you that um, people come from all over the world, speak every language, every color. It is literally where, you know, these music icons like Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Marvin Gaye, The Supremes, The Temptations, The Four Tops, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Lionel Richie was a Commodore at the time. Gladys Knight in the Pits. <laughs> Um, this is where all of those great artists got their start. When my uncle moved to the headquarters to Los Angeles in 72 to get into the film industry, my grandmother kept that little Hitsville house and she convinced her brother to sell her that house for a dollar. <laughs> she said, we've got to maintain a presence in Detroit. And a, a couple years later, because so many people were coming because they wanted to, um, to see that place and to step into that studio, she decided to make it a museum. And that was in 1985. And then it was designated a historic site in, in 1987. So it has continued to not only tell the story, um, but you know, our mission is to preserve and promote and celebrate the authentic story of Motown as a platform for creative, talented and entrepreneurial people to thrive. And so we tell this story to inspire um, and, and really to educate, to your point you know, earlier, Dana, to educate people on what they may not know about the importance of this American success story. How significant was that decision that she made to get that, that building for $1 and the impact that it is that has made on you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have come through that building since then. Um, and I, I suspect that your leadership journey is, is probably a part of that as well. Um, tell us about you know, what it has been like for you to manage and open up the history of Motown to the world um, and any defining moment or person that may have you know, inspired you during that time. The fact that my grandmother had the foresight to preserve the evidence of what transpired in that space. And I call it evidence intentionally, because sometimes when there's no evidence, something didn't happen. And so the fact that she had the foresight to preserve the birth 
place of this musical phenomenon um, and this American success story that grew out of an inner city neighborhood in Detroit, um, to me is the most significant thing. And as you look at all of the celebration that's happened around Motown over the last 60 years, from its 25 year anniversary, its 50 year anniversary, we just celebrated 60 years, every path leads you back to the birthplace of Motown. And so that's really significant. And for me, I was the grandchild that said I never wanted anything to do with the museum. <laughs> that was you. There was no way, in the, because I saw my grandmother's sacrifice. I saw, I mean, the level of passion that she had to maintain day in and day out um, to fight for that, you know, that vision that she had. And I truly just wanted nothing to do with it. And it's nothing but the grace of God and God's divine intervention that as my grandmother was no longer well enough to be able to carry that torch for herself, I then, you know, that passion was sparked in me. And it just, it, it, there was no other option but to carry that torch. And, and I understand how important it is. So I'm really honored to be able to do it. And, um, you know, and to take it into its next iteration and build on the vision that my grandmother um, set forth for us. And that's the next question is I know you have big, big, big plans because Hitsville, USA, it, it's a very small space, yes. but there are big plans for um, what's coming next. Tell us about it. So we are um, in the midst of a $50 million expansion of Motown Museum. And we have been able to acquire the original homes that were part of that Motown Records enterprise on West Grand Boulevard. Um, and so we have, um, we are renovating those homes. We are building a campus that will be almost 50,000 square feet of wow. Motown magic. So wow. not only will our visitors around from around the world and throughout um, the state of Michigan, not only will they be able to step back into in time with Hitsville being the crown jewel, um, that is the reason people come and we make, you know, we understand that, um, but they will be able to step back in time, but they'll also be able to step into, you know, a music lovers playground. We want mm. families to make music together, to sing together, to dance together, mm. all while understanding and learning about the story of Motown, the story about entrepreneurship, um, all of those things that that can inspire, you know, the next Diana Ross, the next Stevie Wonder, the next Barry Gordy. Um, in, a, in addition to that, the first phase of our expansion will open in 2021, and you will start to hear more about that in the coming months. But that's a space called Hitsville Next which is a creative hub for music makers and aspiring entrepreneurs. So it's a space where people who are um, in that, that music world want to be in it, are in it, can collaborate on music, they can write together. Um, we host masterclasses, camps, all kind of goodness. It's like the training ground, right? It's where you get your training wheels. 
Um, all of that they'll be able to do right there on our campus at Hitsville Next. So we are really, really excited about bringing to the world a truly world-class entertainment and education destination. Wow. I'm just reveling in all that it, it was <laughs> and all that it is going to be. I mean, I'm, I'm, take, I'm, I'm just taking it all in. And so I know that there is so much more that um, it will be, but this next phase sounds incredibly exciting. How can people um, get in touch with you? I mean, mention your website. Perhaps there's some kind of a, a video tour. Um, how can well, they I will, continue I will connection? Say this, um, shamelessly, <laughs> you know, the vision that we have, um, we have been very, very successful in raising dollars for it, but we're not there yet. Um, and so, and this is, you know, obviously something we want to bring to the world, to the community um, as quickly as we can. Um, and quite frankly, selfishly, you know, I want as many of our Motown alum to be able to walk those halls and feel the pride that so many of us who have been the recipients of their gifts um, have felt for so many years. So, so I am anxious um, to get it open. So I would say to your listeners, um, anyone who wants to be involved with expansion supporting expansion, supporting the museum, supporting the programs um, that we do to encourage our next generation of artists and entrepreneurs. They can go to our uh, Motown Museum website at motownmuseum.org and make contributions to the museum. You could simply become a member. It's cool to be a Motown Museum member. <laughs> you get a super cool card that all your friends will envy. <laughs> People love that card. Um, and that gets you into the museum free, you, your family for a year. Um, and then it gets you, you get to take part in um, really special programming opportunities. We've been able to do some very special things with our members and, art and artists, folks in our um, museum alumni community, special talks, particularly throughout this pandemic um, where you're not doing things face to face. Uh, some some really, you know, wonderful benefits that come with membership. Well, you know, Robin, uh, you and I are part of an international organization of women leaders called the International Women's Forum. And um, I have attended, I think, 15 of their global conferences all over the world on every continent. And, you know, at the end of these conferences, it's always a big dance party. And, you know, I mean, you have women CEOs, heads of state, you know, athletes, religious leaders, you know, all out on the dance floor. Uh, and every single time, eventually, Motown music comes on. And the yeah. thing I noticed is not only are these women joyfully dancing to Motown from all over the world, they know the lyrics. Yeah. They're singing the songs. And so I just want to thank you, Robin Terry, uh, CEO of the Motown Museum, uh, for what you're doing now and for um, the incredible gift of music that your family has brought to the world. It's a gift that just keeps right on giving. I want to echo those sentiments. You know, when, of course, when we travel around the country and around the world and people ask where you're from, you know, and you say Detroit, and the first thing they say is, oh, you're from Motown. 
I mean, that's a sense of pride for all of us. Honestly, it is. So, you know, from, from, from me personally, Robin, I, I appreciate the leadership that you've had over this museum all these years. And um, the next generation of kids and people being able to witness it and experience it um, will have a, have a grand place to go thanks to your vision. So um, we appreciate you. I just I thank both of you for um, just allowing me to be a part of your podcast series um, and to you know to continue to tell and to the story of Motown and to celebrate you know all of the the wonderful history and contributions um, that were made by a truly special special group of people and I can't echo what you're saying enough about you know people all over the world connecting to this music when they connect to the music they're connecting to Detroit, they're connecting to Michigan. And so, you know, Motown is an ambassador for this community. Absolutely. And for anybody who doesn't know it, who's listening, Motown is the Motor City, which is the <laughs> automotive, one of the automotive capitals of the world. And Detroit is on the rise. Uh, come visit us and the Motown Museum. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. Our thanks to Robin Kenny and her Motor City Woman Studio here in Detroit for producing Powering Up. And let's all go Power Up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share with your network Ann and I would love to hear from you through Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work. <laughs>